Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 12. Looking at a big punk, uh, chunk of scripture passage today. We read it earlier in our scripture reading. Luke chapter 12, 22 through 34, entitled, The Father Knows. He will hold me fast. Let me ask you this. What's the treasure? What's your treasure? We talked a little bit about this. What is it that you love? What is it that you desire? What is it that gets you motivated to get up in the morning and to, to, to front the day, the front life? What is it that you desire more than anything else? Where is it that you put your trust? Who do you trust? It's in your job. Retirement, the government, in your family, in your own abilities. What captures your heart and brings you joy? Or let me ask a more difficult question is, what causes you to doubt or to be troubled? What is it that shakes your life? It could be suffering, it could be anxiety, it could be worry, it could be a whole host. It could be your family, it could be your job, it could be your retirement, it could be inflation, it could be all these things. Maybe war is, is going to happen soon. And we might be dragged into it. In these turbulent times that we live in, and to be honest, it seems like every time is turbulent times. But in these times that are turbulent, it's easy to lose our focus and our faith. There are so many things in this world that compete for your attention and your attraction. They, they desire you to put your, your focus on them, whether it's your, your mind, your heart, your money, whatever it may be. They, they all want you. They want your attention and admiration. The spirit of the age is to lure us into dissatisfaction. Do you, you need to understand that. The whole purpose of commercials and everything else is to make you dissatisfied with what you have. They want you to have more. Because only if you're dissatisfied will you then buy their products or buy a different product. They want you dissatisfied with your lives, your marriage, your living situation, your salary, etc. They want you to be dissatisfied. In order to sell you more stuff and to seek happiness and acquiring more things. Where our vision here at OVBC is countercultural. As our goal is to develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. As he sanctifies us in the truth that's found in scripture. So that's why we uh, center our mission or our message and our, our ministry around the word of God. We are a Bible church. And so with that, I hope you have your Bibles. Bring it with you, if, whether it's on your phone or your tablet. Uh, if you'd like a Bible or need one, please let me know. I'd love to send you home with one. But as we're a matter of view, as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem and his divine appointment at Calvary, at the cross at Calvary, and he's preparing his disciples for that day when he will ascend to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father. And in that, he wants to prepare them for the obstacles that they're going to face in their life of discipleship. For they themselves are now going to have to take the mantle, the baton, 
from Christ, and they're going to have to go out and teach. They're going to give authority that has been passed on to us. They're going to have to continue his work. And he informs them that the decision to follow him calls for an uncompromising commitment. There's that, that phrase I've been trying to drill into our heads, is that discipleship calls for an uncompromising commitment to deny ourselves and to take up our cross daily. The decision to follow Christ comes at a very high cost. It is not to be taken lightly. So far, Jesus has shared three obstacles in chapter 12 to discipleship, to that uncompromising commitment. The first one, you might recall, was the hypocrisy. In other words, don't act and live or adopt the practices of the Pharisees. It leads to death. And then it was number two, is the fear of persecution. As many were, were, were getting ready to melt at the face of the flames that might be ahead of them. We have to recognize that we are valuable and treasured by God. And God says, do not fear. Fear God, do not fear man. Number three is the one that we looked at last year, covet or last year, last week. Covetousness and consumerism, that desire to have more, the desire to want more. And we saw that in the parable of the foolish farmer. In today's passage, Jesus points out a fourth obstacle to discipleship, that uncompromising commitment to follow him. And it's manifested in an anxiety and a worrying that, that demonstrates a lack of, of trust in God in supplying our needs. So in this case, it's, it's about relying on God for that which we need in life. So let's pray. Father, give us wisdom as we go through this passage. It, 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 as Landon said, it's, very, uh, it's a famous portion of Scripture. It's a familiar one. It's the one in which we find our, our vision as a church. But again, open us up. Let us see it with new, good spiritual eyes, with maybe maturity that we didn't see before. May your Holy Spirit have free reign to just work in our hearts. And Lord, I, I pray that we would then respond to the Holy Spirit's working that we may glorify you in our listening and in our, in our reading together and in our understanding and applying your word. Thank you for the opportunity. In your name we pray. Amen. As Landon read our passage during the scripture reading earlier, you might have noticed that he began with the word therefore. This word directs us to read what came before. Therefore, because of what I have written, you need to do it. It's a, it's a pay attention uh, kind of word. Jesus is about to contrast the difference between the foolish farmer versus what we're going to see as the wise seeker of the kingdom of God. It's going to involve death versus life, earthly treasure versus heavenly treasure, condemnation versus commendation. Once again, we see that Jesus' teaching contains an obstacle or a problem that's followed by a precept, a principle, and the person of God. The problem is found in Luke chapter 12. So if you're in Luke, look at verse 22. The problem that Jesus is about to address here, the obstacle to discipleship, is when he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat, nor about your body, or what you will put on. The Greek word behind our English word anxious means to worry, to be concerned. Now, in this context, Jesus is instructing his disciples that denying yourself and taking up your cross daily requires them to not to be concerned about the life and ordinary things of life. This is not talking about those who are struggling with panic attacks 
or any of those other types of things that might be brought on by a whole host of issues. This is talking about the concerns of life, the ordinary things of life that typically we spend a lot of energy pursuing. And again, this goes counterculture to all that the world teaches us. Jesus goes on to say, as we continue in Luke chapter 12, verse 30, <coughs> he says that all the nations of the world seek after these things. But what we're understanding here is that the child of God is not to spend their energy worrying about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, where we're going to live. Now, you need to understand why this is important. Because what he's saying here is that to be anxious or to worry about these things, really the problem is, is that is a sin. It is a lack of trust in God's faithfulness. Worrying is useless. And many of you know this. Worrying never solves a problem. By the way, many people say that, you know, the Bible says meditate on my word. And people say, I just don't know how to meditate. Or, or my mind, I, I don't have the capacity to, to, to meditate on God's word. And then I'll ask them, well, do you ever worry? What is worrying? Just keeping one thing or maybe a host of things in your mind that you meditate on. So if you can worry, which all of us can do, in spades probably, you can meditate. But worrying is useless. Worrying never changes a thing. It is, a, it is filled with false prophecies and false predictions. It never solves anything. So much of our time and our energy and our thought process is taken up with anxious worrying over many different types of things. Some are very important while others are trivial. As I said earlier, Madison Avenue or the marketing companies are very adept at creating these types of emotions. It seems that they have found that they can sell and make a bundle of money if they can keep us busy with worrying and anxious about what we have or don't have. And Christians, let me tell you, are not immune to this problem of worrying. Of, of being concerned about where we're going to live, what we're going to eat, what type of house we're going to live in. Some of our congregation are actually struggling and facing real problems with their housing. Right at this moment, they're struggling with it. It might be employment. It might be their bills. It might be for food security. It might be a whole host of things. But we have people in our, in, in our congregation that are struggling with these very things. And Jesus is not saying that we discount real problems that affect us. He's not telling us to eject our common sense and neglect the needful things of life. These things are needful for us to be concerned with, to think of. In verse Luke 12, 30, Jesus informs disciples that even your father need them, but we're not to feed them. So it's not that we don't need them, but we're not to fill ourselves with anxious worrying, trying to ob obtain them or to be concerned about them. This is not a call to be lazy or to be a sluggard or neglectful in taking care of one's family. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy 5.8, you see it here on the monitor. He says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse 
than an unbeliever. So we do have a concern in that great. We are commanded to take care of the needs of not only our immediate household, but even those of our relatives, immediate relatives, our family. But what Jesus is saying is that we cannot let our focus be centered on the things of life. That we neglect the things of God to obtain them. And I'm afraid that's what many of us do. We switch our focus to the things that we need or want or desire rather than the things that God has told us to be concerned with. Too many of us are swept in mental, emotional, and physical turmoil due to the pursuit of these things. Jesus warns us in James chapter 4. James warns us in James chapter 4. You see here on the monitor, I believe. You know know this verse. We've seen it many times. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you, desire you do not have? So you murder, you covet, you cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Like a child that is selfishly saying, I want, I want, give me, give me, give me, as many of the children of God in the same way when it comes to the things of life, stuff. Marriages are crumbling. Family relationships are strained. Our physical, mental, and emotional health is at risk because of these concerns, this anxious worrying. Then, of course, it affects us spiritually as we're drawn further and further from the Great Commission and the Great Commandment given to us by the Lord. We become distracted, neglectful, paralyzed in our spiritual life. That's why we're called to pray, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God, you can be too rich and you can be too poor. The prayer is, Lord, just give me exactly what I need for that day. Jesus instructs them that there is a solution to this problem. And you need to understand that this is a sin problem. It, I use the word that it paralyzes Christians because we're so concerned that we cannot be, we, we, we struggle to be involved in the things of church, of sharing the gospel of ministry, meeting the needs of others with love, of being together to disciple one another and in fellowship of breaking bread together. We've got to put more hours in or we're, we're putting in so many hours that we're tired and we can't do the other things. The Bible's called us to be concerned about the things of God. So Jesus instruction that there is a solution to this problem, to this sin problem, that every disciple of Jesus must know and embrace. Now the precept, again, this is one of those commands. This is thou shalt, thou shalt not. And it's found in verse 31. When Jesus says that instead of anxiety and worrying about earthly material things, we are to do what? Seek his kingdom. We saw this in Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness of what? All these things then will be added to you. Why? Because the Father knows you need them. Again, this is what this is contrasting the foolish and the wise man. A foolish man is one who ignores, denies, and rejects God. 
while a wise man is one who acknowledges God and acquires the skill of godly living, understanding what God has called us to do. As disciples of Christ, we are to seek the kingdom of God above our own. I think there's too many times that we forget that we're truly citizens, not only here uh, in the United States or here on earth, but we're also, what's even greater is our citizenship in heaven. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3, you see it here on the monitor. He says, if you've then been raised with Christ, speaking of those that have been born again, those that have repented of their sin and put their trust in the work of Christ. He says, then you need to seek the things that are above. Now, he's not talking like Elon Musk, I want to go to Mars. Or I want to, I want to own a star. He's speaking about the things that are in heaven, where Christ is, where he's seated at the right hand of God. That is to be our priority. He goes, set your minds on things that are above, not that are things, not on things that are on the earth. For you've died, then your life is hidden with Christ and God. The Father knows what you need. And you see, his solution is to give those things to us. So how do we fight this problem of worrying about the things of life? Is instead of seeking those things, we seek the things of Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul tells his spiritual son, Timothy, he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what have you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So here's, here's what we are to do. This is how we seek the things of Christ, is we learn of the things of Christ. We take them and we turn and teach them to someone else who then takes it and teaches to others and then teaches to another. You see four generations of passing the baton. This is what you are to do. Instead of sharing your Netflix password, you are to share the words of God. Now, I'm not going to get on the, 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 the moral or the uh, thing on that. I'm just going to say, is this is what we ought to be sharing and be willing to share, to be excited to share, is the things of Christ. Not only that, he also says, share in the sufferings as a good soldier. Christ Jesus. We're to be interested in the things of Christ, embracing the suffering of the cross, knowing that we will be ridiculed, we will be maligned, we will be canceled, understanding that that's not a sense of, of, of anger. We ought to take pride in that, knowing that we suffer for Christ's sake. If you suffer for Christ's sake, if you're neglected, maligned, ridiculed, and canceled because you're a jerk, well then, repent repent and confess of that. But then he goes on, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. I'm afraid there's many soldiers in Christ's army in the church today that doesn't know where their armor of God is. They don't know where the sword of the Spirit is. They don't even know where there's a war. I don't even think they know that there's a war. They're busy digging ditches. Instead of doing the things of God. Why doesn't he get entangled in civilian pursuits? He ends in 2 Timothy 2.4. Since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Very simply. What is your aim? Who do you aim to please? 
Now, if you're honest, I'll be honest, it's usually to please myself or to please my wife and my children. But even then, my desire to please my wife and my children is so I can please myself because I don't want to make life uncomfortable for me. Who do you aim to please in your life? Honestly, it's ourselves. But we need to see that that is a sin problem. Satan wants to keep you so busy with other concerns than the things of God. He will use every tool in his tool belt to deter you from your uncompromising commitment to follow Christ. Anxiety and worry is one of his most popular and potent weapons in his arsenal. You might recall that there are many who profess Christ, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world and it proves unfruitful. We have many that have preached on those soils. Remember the soils. And we read that and we say, well, that's too bad. But let me share with you, as you think of this, let me begin. There are many who, because of the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, choke the world and, or choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. They're gone. They're not truly saved. And the reason why I'm repeating that, because unfortunately, there have been some in our own congregation, those that we love and covenant with, who received the gospel with a joy and excitement, who we have baptized, who we have broke bread with, who we have shared the gospel with, only to be choked by the cares of the world and fall away. I can see where they would be setting this right now. And I'm not even sure if we miss them, if we've reached out. And my heart breaks. Why? Because they're more worried and concerned about the things of this world. I am not condemning them. That stands for Christ to judge them. But my heart breaks. And I pray that God may bring them back and we continually reach out. Please, show yourself. You, you do not have to be, you do not have to buy into the world culture. sure that some of you, many of you can attest to many others that have followed this path to their destruction. They once professed Christ but are no longer found in any church. Their eyes are never found in any portion of scripture. Their heart is far, far, far from away from the heart of God. Jesus is warning his disciples that the obstacles of anxiety and worry can derail your faith. It will lead you straight to the gates of hell. <clears throat> not that you can lose your salvation. That is not what I'm saying this morning. But how you respond to suffering demonstrates your true allegiance and trust. And that's important of what we hear from Scripture Turn to 1 John chapter 2, if you would. 1 John chapter 2, near the end of your New Testament. Seeking the kingdom of God means that we pursue the things of God rather than the things of the world. In 1 John chapter 2, are you there? Are you close to there? Look at verse 15. It's wonderful to hear those pages turn. <clears throat> In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, you should underline or mark this passage out in your scripture. It says, do not love the world nor the things that are in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in the world. And here's where we come to things that we, we worry and are concerned about. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. The things that we desire, the things that we want to obtain, the things about ourselves. It says, it's not from the Father. Those desires are not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Where is your love this morning? Now turn to Titus chapter 2, just back a few pages. Titus chapter 2, small book, three chapters. Right after 2 Timothy, right before Philemon and Titus chapter 2. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is writing to instruct Titus on how to bring order to the church there at Crete. And in Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14, Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared. He's brought salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly uh, passions, to live self-controlled. This is not someone who is worried and anxiety, but someone who is self-controlled, upright, Godly lives in this present age, the age that you are living in, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our glory of our great God and Lord and Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. We are looking for that day that Christ comes. Until then, we are to live lives that are seeking the kingdom of God. For why? For God gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Not zealous for the things of themselves, but those things that which are from Christ. This is what you and I are to pursue and seek after. Paul continues in Philippians chapter 3, 14. He says, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, let those who are mature think this way. We are to think of the things of Christ and we press towards those things. Not to obtain more. Not to have more, not to desire more. As a reminder for, here, for, for us here at OVBC, we are committed to develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. And we do that through obeying the Great Commission, which tells us to go ye therefore into all the world, to teach and to baptize, to make disciples. And we obey the Great Commission with the heart of the Great Commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves and to love the Lord our God. And we do that when we reach up, reach out, and reach in. Those are defined by reaching out to God through worship, which is simply focusing on God, the things of God, desiring to glorify Him in all that we do. Reaching in is that those that are in covenant community, by connecting with each other and discipling each other to pursue Christ, that's why we have small groups, that's why we have ACC and men's retreat and the ladies' retreat, all these things, so that we can do a word that's overused, but I'll use it today, is life sharing, of getting together and getting to know each other and to supply what is lacking in each other's faith. See, there are some here that struggle with the problem of worry and anxiety over the things that they have or don't have, or maybe the condition of the things they have. But then there are others who have gotten past that. Those that are stronger are to help those that are weaker in that area. But then to reaching out to those in our community by sharing the gospel and meeting needs with love. 
That's the precept. Seek the kingdom of God. The principle about why, right? Why should I seek the kingdom of God? Why should I not spend my life pursuing the things of the world? That's what everyone else is doing. Everyone is getting theirs. I want mine. I, I want my chunk of it. That was the foolish farmer. But the wise man builds his house on the rock, not on the sand that shifts. The principle of why we should seek the kingdom of God instead of being anxious and worried is found in Luke chapter 12, going back to Luke 12. And then Luke verse 23. You may want to just write precept next to it, or principle, excuse me. Why should I seek the kingdom of God? He says, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. This echoes Jesus' teaching in Mark chapter 8 that you see here on the monitor, where Jesus says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will what? Save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? He's bringing us to some common sense and also some spiritual sense in which, listen, your life is no good if you have all these things. Remember the rich fool? I, have big, I, I now have bigger barns. I will store my goods and I will eat and drink and be merry. And what has God said? You fool, your life will be required of you. How much is your life worth? This points back to the foolishness of the farmer again. Tim Elliott, the missionary who gave his life to bring the gospel to a remote village in Ecuador, once said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me give that to you again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'll give you an illustration. There was a large fire here just uh, last week. Fire department gets there, it's there on Batavia. And as they see it, this place is just inflamed. And as they look at it, they have a, des not, not a desire of a firefighter is to go in and fight fires. They want to preserve property and life in the environment. That's, that's part of their mission and their goal. But as, as they get there, they see that this fire is so engulfed that all of a sudden they realize we are not going in there to fight this fire. There's no way we can save this building. So instead of taking an offensive posture, as they just did last night over here at Bonds, where they went in and they fought the fire, they looked for it, they just put a defensive and, and put all their trucks and things and just threw water on it. Why? Because they realized the wisdom. Why lose my life to save the frame of a building? That's a decision. We make that decision every day. You make that decision multiple times a day. When you choose the things of the world rather than the chains of God, or the things of God rather than the things of the world. What does it profit a man? To gain the whole world but lose his soul. So Bezos, the guy who owns Amazon, builds a yacht and has enough money to demand that a country demolish, or not demolish, but take apart an iconic bridge so he can, uh, I was going to say drive, fly, or whatever, sail his yacht through the thing. But what good does that do him when he comes to the pearly gates 
And Jesus says, why should I let you into my heaven? Not enough money to get you there. In all of his goods, in all that he owns, who, whose is it when he, when he dies? King Solomon says it's just vanity. So why do we pursue the things that we cannot take with us? The things that we consume. Think, think, about, think about this. How much money would you have today if you would have invested the money that you just spent on just trivial, silly things? It's sad when we think about it. But yet we do that with our time. Redeem the time because why? The days are evil. So instead of spending our time worrying and, and, and like little rats running around trying to obtain and acquire the things that they tell me that I should want and desire, I spend that time seeking after the kingdom of God. You have one life. How will you choose to live that life? I pray that we take on Romans 12.1, or I'm sorry, Hebrews 12.1 to heart. To lay aside every weight and the sin which closely clings so close, or the sin which clings so closely, and that we would run with endurance the race that is set before us, and that we would keep our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the same, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You and I, in the same way, need to look to Jesus. We need to despise the shame of the world when we do not accept their morals and their purposes in life. Where we're willing to endure whatever suffering may come because we stand for Christ and seek the kingdom of God. Why? Because we too will gain the kingdom of God, eternal life. What would you have? This commandment to seek the kingdom of God and to put away anxiety and worry is not given to us to make our lives harder or more difficult or just because. You understand, we talked about precept before. It's a command. The principle, the why. Remember you ever tell your child, uh, you're going to bed at 10. Why? Just because. It's not a good answer, is it? They don't usually don't accept. You don't accept it. Hey, I need a raise. Uh, no. Well, why? Well, just because. Well, give me a, a good reason, right? Tell, tell me why. Well, again, as I share with you as parents, when you make commands or when you lay down the law, there ought to be a principle behind it. And that principle directs your attention to a person. So if you have a parent make really difficult legalistic rules in your home and your principle is just because I'm dad or I'm mom and I said so, what does that say about you? Maybe that you're a jerk, a dictator, unloving and unkind. But yet, so once again, Jesus is pointing his disciples about this obstacle and he says, seek the kingdom of God. Don't let that problem get you. Why? Because there's a principle that your life is more than about what you obtain. It's more than what you eat and consume. The precept and the principle is meant to lead us to trust in the person, to reveal to us who the person is. And in this case, it reveals the person of the Father. First, Jesus calls us to consider nature in verses 24 to 28. He points out the ravens who do not sow and reap but are fed by God. He points out the lilies who do nothing but soak in the sun and drink from the soil. But he says they are beautiful, more beautiful than even King Solomon. He points out the grass that is trampled on and tread upon and is burned up and dies. 
but is kept alive by the hand of God. He calls us to consider that all of our worrying and anxious thoughts are futile and cannot change anything, including making us taller. Believe me, I realize that that has become futile. I just self-identify as a six-foot-four male. And then that's it, right? As Jesus has us consider nature, he points out that God feeds them, that God causes them to grow, that God does this, God does that, for things that you and I just take for granted, just the regular uh, creation order. And he says, if God cares for these ordinary lives, these ordinary things of life, Look at verse 28b of Luke chapter 12. Jesus says, how much more will he clothe you? He's revealing something about the Father. In other words, we are more valuable and treasurable than the lilies of the field and the birds and our height and our weight and what we may look like. He teaches us we're more valuable than the birds of air. Look again with me at Luke chapter 12 verse 29 as he now reveals to us why we're to seek the kingdom of God, why we're not to worry. He says, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father again knows that you need them. He goes on to state then in verse 32, look at verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus is calling on his disciples to trust in the character of the Father who is good, loving, kind, and merciful to his children. That's why we're not to worry. The Father knows what you need. You are more valuable than his other creation. And he will provide all that you need. That's his promise. Jesus is calling on his disciples to trust in the character of the Father. Professor Thomas Schreiner writes that the greatest antidote to worry is believing and realizing that we have a Father who loves us. Now for many people that sometimes can be difficult because maybe our relationship with our Father is restrained. We may not have had a good relationship. We may not have even known them very well. They were a generation that kept their emotion in check. Maybe they never said the words, I love you, or you are valuable, or you care. However, we have a Father who loves us, who values us, who treasures us. In Matthew 7, 11, Jesus informed his disciples that if you then who are evil know how to good gifts, good gifts to your children, in other words, if you are just an earthly father and you know how to take care of your children, how much more will the Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In comparison, we are good to our children, typically here on earth. But yet we're evil. Our motivations are tainted with sin. He says, now look in respect and relative, the Father will give much greater things to his children. Jesus then promised his disciples in Luke 12, verse 31, as we continue in that passage. He said, instead, seek his kingdom. And he says, these things will be added to you. This is a promise that the Father will give what you need when you seek his kingdom. Again, going to Thomas Schreiner. 
He writes that believers should seek God and his kingdom because he is a kind father who will supply everything we need, which consummates with the gift of the kingdom. In other words, you and I give up the cares of this world, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to drink, what I'm going to wear, uh, even the things of my life. I'm going to give them up for the greater gain, the kingdom of God. Now, here's the thing. There are some times that we may suffer. There are times that we may not have the food that we want. We may not live where we want. We may be struggling, maybe with unemployment. But what he's saying is that he consummates it with his kingdom. You may suffer here, child, he is saying. But in the end, I will give you all that you need. Something greater that you cannot even imagine. This is where the rubber meets the road. Are you a man or a woman of faith that confidentially trust, uh, uh, trust or confidently, excuse me, trust that God is faithful to his promises? Do you truly believe that? Or would you say here, I, I'm struggling. I do have a problem. I'm struggling trusting God. Where I'm going to live is like right here in front of me. I'm not sure where I'm going to be, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to give my children. I'm struggling even with my life the way I am. I don't know where it's turning out. I'm dissatisfied with my life. That for some of you, that might be way back there. For some of you, it's right here. Let me share with you. Put your trust in a good, loving Father who cares for you. If you are like me, this type of faith ebbs and flows, depending on the heat. Give this to you once before. I don't know if you can see that very well. I can't see it from where I'm at. But there's heat that comes in our life. And this is a picture from CCEF. It's a Christian counseling group. And it, it takes the heat as the sun gives off heat. And it causes some things to grow, but it also kills. It does both. Says when heat comes into your life, how do you then respond? Maybe it's a marriage issue. Maybe it's a problem with with your boss. Maybe it's an issue in your own life, some temptation. And you're saying, "There's heat coming on my life. How will I respond?" Well, to those that do not know Christ, it is death. But to those, as he goes in there to Christ, he says, "We have a new life." Let me ask you, what heat are you suffering from right now? How are you responding? The one who's born of God responds by continually to seek the kingdom of God above all things. So what do we do with this instruction, this command? How do we defeat Satan and the obstacles of anxiety and worry? You say, this heat's here. It's, it, it's, really, it's right in my face. I, I can feel, I, I feel like third degree burns. I need a solution. I understand what you're saying, but but how do I put that in practice? Well, this brings us to the pattern. The pattern of a disciple of Christ. This pattern is difficult, and it's found in verse 33 and 34 of Luke chapter 12. When Jesus tells them, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Whoa, what? Instead of worrying about my own needs, I'm supposed to sell? And give to others. He goes on to say, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, 
For the treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there is where your heart be also. When he speaks about money, that money bags that turn old, he's talking about whether or not you're allowing your money just to set in your money bag and just sit there and just over time rubbing holes into it or you giving out. Dr. Schreiner notes that freedom for anxiety, freedom from anxiety and worrying is demonstrated when disciples sell their possessions and provide for the poor. Now, that's a tough topic. But it's putting in the action the promise that's found in Philippians 4.19. God will supply every need of yours according to his riches of glory. In other words, when we give, as we saw last week, God has told us to give. That's why he gives us things, so that we in return may give back. It shows that we are dependent on him. John MacArthur notes that Christ stressed the Father's tender care over his little flock as an antidote to anxiety. And the way that we see that, that we believe that God cares for us, is when we are generous in living or generous in our giving. Other scriptures inform us, you'll see here Philippians 5, says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. As we give, we're giving, we're asking in return. Verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. First Peter says to humble ourselves, to cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. Luke 11, 2 through 3, we looked at this earlier. It says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us each day our daily bread. So the pattern of a disciple who's living a life of uncompromising commitment to seek the kingdom of God is one who is going to be free from anxiety and worry about the things of life and also gives of what he has. In Acts chapter 4, we're not going to read the passage, but in there we see that one of the marks of the early church is that no one in the church had need. Why? Because those that had extra houses and homes sold them, took the money, gave them back to the disciples and said, help those that are in need. In the same way, we do that through the deacon's fund is we help each other when we are in need. Why? Because we care for each other. John Wesley, the 18th century preacher, who was the father of the Methodist movement, uh, declared this. Ready? I'm going to give you three sentences. Make all you can. Save all you can. Give all you can. Good words. As you're seeking the kingdom of God. Ken uh, underscore 1689. It's here on the screen, I believe. Did I put that on there? I, I don't know his real name. He tweeted out this week. He's someone I follow. He says, when your hope is fixed on our eternal reward, all that this life has to offer and the momentary affliction pales in comparison to what the Lord has prepared for us. Let me tell you, Madison Square Garden, Disney, and Hollywood cannot come up with any type of set, vision, or product that can compare to the kingdom of God. Amen? It cannot. So recognize, if you are grabbing for the things of this world, you are grabbing for a dung heap. So Paul says, I count everything of this world as dung so that I might gain Christ. 
Some of you have some dirty fingers and hands. I encourage you that Christ cleanses them when we confess and we repent and we turn towards seeking the things of God. Let me give you this as we come near to a close. It's God is going to meet your needs. Now, he does meet them supernaturally. We've gone through the Old Testament where, where, Jesus, where God made manna come. He, he brought in a flock of, uh, not, seagull, not seagulls, because that makes me think of a song, but a flock of what? Was it seagulls? Huh? Yeah, okay. So I guess, okay. So he brought them in, and then they club. That's where you get that weird hairstyle, I suppose. But yeah, you know, God did supernaturally provide for Elisha and Elijah, and for many in Scripture, he provided the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the uh, 4,000, I believe, is the, or 4 or 3,000 is the other one. Is that God supernaturally does that. And there are times that God will provide for you supernaturally. There have been many of you that come to me and said, you know, I got this gift. I, got, I don't know where it came from. The man was there and then all of a sudden he was gone. Maybe you have a story like that. But typically God meets and supplies our needs through others. It could be an employee. You know, they pay you for your work. It could be from family. It could be for friends. It could be for the government. It could be others. But I want to share with you that one of the main ways that God works through is through the church. George Mueller is a great example of a man in the 1800s wanted to build orphanages for boys and then for girls. And he made a promise. He says, I will never ask one man or one woman for money. Never did. All he ever did was pray. And people would come in droves. You ought to read the biography of George Miller. If you never have, let me know. I do have, I think I have a copy of it. Uh, it's a great one. There's many of them, but there's some. Reading the story of George Mueller will make, will make you desire to be a great prayer warrior. He just prayed for things, for food. Here's a great story. One time they, they set down the kids and, 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 the, and the cook came to George Mueller and says, I have no breakfast to give the kids. What should I do? He said, set out the table where call the kids, have them sit down. He walks in. There's no food on the pot. There's nothing cooking. He goes to the kids and says, well, this is where we're at. Let's pray and give God thanks. So he begins praying, thanking God for all that God has given them and their desire to trust him more. Then all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door as he gets ready to say amen. He opens the door and he finds Bags of meal. They were able to take and feed. Great story. Again, read George Miller. Great story. Let me close this passage for us to ask why is it important, though, for us to listen to what Jesus has to say? Why, does, why is this so important? I can't remember where I came across this, so apologies to the original author. It might have been T.A. Carson. But he gives us four reasons. First, it's important for you and I to listen because Christ is speaking. It's the Son of God. He is sharing with us how we can obtain the things of God. The world is filled with people who think they know the answers to life, but the only true answers are found in this Bible, in the Scripture. When Jesus speaks, it is more than E.F. Hutton. We must listen. Number two, man must listen because the world is temporary. Everything in this world is going to be consumed. He tells us in Peter that all this will be melted away and will be judged. 
And so you and I must listen because this world is temporary and what is consuming your mind, your energy, and all your thoughts is the things of this world. Third, we must listen because Christ reveals the glory of the kingdom. The kingdom is much greater. That's where our treasure should be. And number four, the voice of Christ regarding the kingdom must be heeded because this kingdom cannot be moved. Throughout history, there has been one empire after another that has fallen. No longer. Just in ruins. But he calls us to recognize that the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. So let us pursue that which is eternal and stable. For that is what pleases God. May I end with just this last verse, James chapter 1, verse 17. Do not worry or be anxious about what you're to eat or what you're to give, because life is more than food, and the Father knows what you need. Recognizing that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. May we give him glory as we pursue and seek the kingdom of God. Can we do that this morning? Let us pursue that. For there are times when we get strayed. And when we do, let's confess, repent. The Father embraces us and gives us the good things that we so desperately need. There we head bowed and there I close. The worship team comes up. I believe Randy has prayer. If you would come up so. I'd like for you to just take a moment to pause. Consider what we said here this morning. I don't mean to be one to bang you up, but just to encourage you and challenge you. Let's seek the kingdom of God. Let's do that together. That's what we come together to hold each other accountable that we are pursuing the things of Christ. Let us do so that God may be glorified and for our good. And as you consider these things, would you pray and respond to the Spirit's call in your own life in seeking out the kingdom of God. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.